Well, it's good to have you here today. Glad that you're with us uh, to worship here in God's house. It's always a wonderful time to see folks getting baptized and identifying themselves as public believers of Jesus Christ. And so it always strengthens and encourages my heart. Today, I'm going to kind of forego our series on the book of Mark. Uh, I just was thinking here we are in the week of Thanksgiving and uh, the passage in Mark was on the betrayal of the disciples against Jesus and I just thought that didn't go together, putting the disciples' betrayal with Thanksgiving. So I'm going to forego the study today and I'm just going to share something with you that's been on my heart here. It's a beautiful passage of scripture and I want you to take your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I want to share with you a sermon that I've entitled, Fit for the Battle, Fit for the Battle. And so I hope it'll strengthen your heart as it certainly has mine. And I'm so grateful for this passage of Scripture. It has really walked me through so many different times in my life. Stand with me now. I'm going to read, I'm going to read quite a lengthy portion. It sh I should go longer, but I'm going to go verses 1 to 19 so you can catch the gist of what's going on in this particular situation. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now it happened after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Ammonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazaran Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek Yahweh and called for a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from Yahweh. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek Yahweh. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of Yahweh before the new court, and he said, O Yahweh, the God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Are you not the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can take their stand against you. Did you not, O our God, dispossess the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the seed of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and save us. So now, behold, the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. And behold... They are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from our possession, which you have caused us to possess. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, and we do not know what we should do, but our eyes are on you. Now all Judah was standing before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of Yahweh came upon Jehaziel, and the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, and Levite, the sons of Asaph. And he said, Pay attention, all Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith Yahweh to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness, Jeriel. You need not fight in this battle. Take your stand. Stand and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for Yahweh is with you. 
So Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and of the sons of the Korites rose up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You may be seated. Fit for the battle. Everyone in this room is going through a battle. The person right next to you, you may not know what it is, but they're going through a battle. Everyone has a battle to fight. Are you fit for the fight? Because to be fit for the fight means you've gone through some training. And there's some things that God does in your life where he trains you to be fit for the battle. You, you, you just, you just when, you're, when you're born, you're just naturally not fit. You have to become fit. You're going to get that six-pack you want, that eight-pack you want, or in my case, like the two-liter pack that I want. If, if you want that in your life, you've got to get fit. You've got to work out. It works that way in life. It works that way in your walk with God. To be fit for the battle means that you're prepared to go into it. You have all kinds of battles. There's the battle of life. Some people are fighting for their life right now. You have problems in your life. Maybe you're fighting under circumstances that no one knows about or people do know about. Maybe there's some fear you have right now. Maybe there's a problem going on that no one can solve for you. Or maybe even worse, you're in a fight with someone you love. That's even harder than those. And then maybe even another level, you're in a fight that's going on inside of you. Insecurities. Doubts. All kinds of things that happen inside of you that, that work to bring you to a state of fear or to a state of not seeking the Lord in your life. Today, I want you to understand that the struggles of life are God's classroom of education. Now, this is so important to get a hold of in your life, that they are God's classroom of education. God's trying to teach you something through your heartaches, through your finances, through your sickness, somewhere in your life, you are in one of God's classes. Now, I don't know what class you're in, and I don't know what tests you're having to take in that class, but I can tell you this beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've come here today to tell you that the most difficult classroom to sit in with your situation, with your faith, is a class called Stand Still. Stand still. That has been the hardest class I've ever gone through in my life. Ever since I was a little kid, my mom said I couldn't stand still. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do it in classroom. Couldn't do it in school. Couldn't do it in church. Couldn't do it at home. My mom got so frustrated with me. I was so rambunctious. She'd use that. I never knew what that word meant until I was older, but she'd say, you're so rambunctious. And she would take me at four years of age. She walked me down to the street to one of her friends and there was a four-year-old in the house. His name was Jeffrey, Jeffrey Sperkini. And she said, could my boy play with your boy? My boy is driving me crazy. And that's how I met my best friend. We were in each other's weddings and we're best mans for each other, but that's how I met him, under the conditions of my rambunctiousness. But I had a hard time as a kid sitting still in anything that I did. Life will bring you to a place to hear where you will hear the command of God. And in spite of all you think you can do or what you think you'll be able to accomplish, the word of the Lord today is stand still. Stand still. I want to leave that in your heart today. He told it to so many in the Bible. Moses, stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord. Then he told to Joshua, as I did with Moses, I will do with you. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He told it to Job. Job had the worst life of any man I've ever known in the history of time. And in Job, he told Job, stand still, Job. Right in the midst of his suffering, he told him to stand still. Throughout the Bible, you'll see that phrase used so many times. Psalm 46.10 says it to us. Be still and know that I am God. The quieter you become, the more you hear. The more you can hear. That's why God wants you to stand still. Because the quieter you become the more you can hear. You may ask, why should I stand still? Because there's some evils that are coming against you, and they are, have already come against you at different levels. In this particular story, there's been three evil empires that terrified Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah. At this point, Judah and Israel were separated as two nations, and so surrounding the three, uh, the three, the nation of Judah was these three enemies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. And they joined forces to destroy Judah, and especially King Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat, I don't know if he was fat or not, but when you read him, you tend to think he was a big old fat king, you know? But we don't really know who he was. We do know some things about him. His name is God Be My Judge. That's a beautiful, beautiful name for him. God Be My Judge, because he kept asking him, God, you judge us. You judge us. God, you do what's right before us. Now, as far as Jehoshaphat, I don't know if they made fun of his name as a kid, but let's just call him J-Fat, okay? That'd probably be maybe what they called him in high school. He was like a middle linebacker or something. But uh, in this particular case, the trifecta of evil has come against him. The three greatest enemies that he had have gotten together. They've made a pact together, and now they are going to try to destroy God's people. Now, I want to say this right up front. You can't out-evil evil. Now, I wish you'd think that thought through, but you cannot out-evil evil, but you can be smarter than evil. If you think you're going to get even with evil, or you're going to get back at evil, or you're going to use your own plan, you can't do it. You can't out-evil evil. evil. Uh, you can be smarter, though, than what's trying to destroy you. And, and the plan here is very simple, that God is someone you can cry out to to reveal the strategy for the path you need to take. But no matter how much evil is thrown on you, no matter who is evil to you, God says this throughout this passage, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Now that's, that's good to know in the background of all of this story. No matter what happens to you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? God can take an evil and turn it into good if you give him enough time, if you give him enough time. Fret not thyself over evildoers. Be not envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. And they shall wither away. It's a beautiful thought to know that the Lord really is on our side. And you don't need to be afraid 
because of that very fact. Now, here's what I did with this message. I, I've made it real simple, but it's a very simple thing to me that I've had to live my life on, and I've struggled some time to do it, and sometimes I got it right. But I have learned a lot in my walk with God from it. And so I'm going to preach on how, to stand, how do you stand still when you're in a difficult place? How do you stand still when you're in a difficult place? Okay, the first thing I want you to see in the verses I read is the first thing to do is praise him before the battle. Praise him before the battle. This is what's so amazing to me because this strategy looks like it would never work anywhere in our life, but that's exactly what they did. Jehoshaphat is terrified by the news. The first thing he does is he gets down on his knees and he prays, and the Bible says he sets himself to seek the Lord. Now, all those verses there throughout that passage, you don't want to miss this, they all play off of the theme of Second Chronicles. Now, we don't study Second Chronicles much here, but I want to say this to you. That book, you would know the theme verse of that book, and everybody who followed the theme verse of the book in Chronicles, God did exactly what the promise was for them in the Old Testament. If my people, that's why he says if here in the passage, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their iniquity and I will heal their land. That's a promise that was given to Israel. And so what they did in this passage is they literally took that promise to the bank with God. And this is what um, Jehoshaphat does throughout this passage. He goes to God with the very things God says to come to him with. Now, I'm not going to go through this whole prayer, but I at least want you to know some themes about it so that when you pray, this is how you should pray. It's a great prayer to pattern your life after. The first thing he does is says, I know who you are, God. You're the God of the heaven. You're God over all. So I know who you are. And so he tells God that first. That's what you always want to tell God first. I know who you are. You're over everything. You're over me. You're over my family. You just, you just want to tell God, you're over everything. That's the first thing he does. Then, then he goes into the history with his people. He starts telling God what God had already done with Israel. And so he comes back and he says, God, here's the things you've done with us up to this point, and you've come through for us before. All right. Then the third thing he tells him is he reminds God of the plan uh, for... Uh, he reminds God of a plan that he's always given his people whenever they've been in trouble. God, you've helped me before with this. God, you've worked me through this before. And I know you've got a plan for me now, so I'm coming to you with it. And then he tells them the problem. This is all the way through all these verses here, and I'm not going through them. He tells them the problem. But I like verse 12 because it's kind of the summary of everything he was trying to say to God. And he says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. We do not know what we should do, but our eyes are on you. There we go. There's the things you want to pray. Whenever, whatever your situation is, you always want to pray those three things. God, I'm powerless. God, I don't know what to do. God loves to hear you say that. I'm powerless. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Those are three things you always want to remember when you go to God in prayer. Those three simple things. You say, well, I've done it. Do it a thousand times. And if you've done it a thousand times, do it again. God loves, God loves that when you come to him. You say, I already have. Do it again. I love this quote. Some people think God is troubled by our constant prayer and asking. But the way to trouble God is to never ask at all. 
See, God's more troubled by you who don't pray than he is troubled by those people that keep coming and asking the same thing. That's, that's, that's great. That's a great quote. Now, when you want to learn this about God, because God loves for you to ask him these things. He loves for you to come to him. Just like, okay, I'm, I'm at an age in my life now. This is amazing to me. I don't know how, why this happens, but my kids and my in-laws, my daughter-in-law and son-in-law, they are coming and asking my advice and opinion on things than they've ever done in their entire life. All my kids have never asked me for advice like they've asked now. And, and I've always been taught that you don't give any advice to your kid unless he asks, okay? I want to give a whole lot more advice than I've given, but I don't give any advice. Once they got married, I'm out of it, okay? I'm not even going to tell them, you're doing that wrong. Now, if they ask me for their advice, I'll, I'll tell them. But, but I'm telling you, that's wise as a, as a parent, by the way. Don't give your opinion, okay? Don't, uh, that, that wasn't even my sermon. But anyways, don't give your opinion. Let them figure it out. You made the same mistakes. You did the same. You did things that your parents were best to keep their mouth quiet. But if they ask, if they seek you and they want your opinion, then it's a powerful time. I love it. I want to tell you something. I love it when they come to me. I love when my boy calls me or my uh, son-in-law or my daughter-in-law. I love it because there's some, I'm just tickled inside. Wow. They actually want to have a talk with me. They want to, they want to get my opinion. They want to get my input. There's something about that as a father. So I kind of connect with our father in heaven about this because I feel like the Trinity at some point, the Holy Spirit intercedes. When my kid tells me a problem he's having or something's going on in his life, I feel like the Holy Spirit, man, I got to intercede for this kid, man, with groanings. I'm groaning for my kid. Everybody feels that. Then I feel like Christ. Not only am I groaning like the Holy Spirit, but I want to intercede for them to the Father. And so, I'm gonna, man, I'm going to take that one to the Father for them. And then I feel like the Father himself because they've come to me as my children and they've sought my advice. And I feel this sense of, wow, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. So in a lot of ways, I've really understood how the Trinity functions and how the Trinity works because I love for them to come to me. What are they usually telling me when they come to me? I have no power. I don't know what to do, Dad, but I'm looking to you. That's it. That's why they're coming to me. I have no power. I don't know what to do, but, but my eye's on you right now. That's, God loves that. That's simple, transparent, and honest. That's what he wants us to come and say. I have no power. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. The Father loves that spirit. Okay, so... What do you do? You just ask God, give me a plan. Give me an offense. Give me a defense. Now, I'm, I'm going to just throw this in as a summary now, okay? Because you may not have caught everything I said there, so let me just give you a summary principle on this. If it is out of your hands, it needs to be out of your mind. This is how you do it. What I just told you is how you do it. If it's out of your hands, then it needs to be out of your mind. And the only way you're going to get it out of your mind is when you get into a relationship with God where you come to him and say, I'm powerless, I don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. Okay? You've got to get that out of your mind or you're going to drive yourself crazy. All right? That's the principle I've been saying up till now. All right? Now, I do want to throw this in. This isn't really the sermon here today, but I want at least you to see it. Verse 13, now all Judah was standing before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So who's all Judah? 
That's all the dads. That's the king and all the dads. And they brought the kids along and the little ones, and they brought the wives along. Everybody saw. Hey, make sure you live your life where your kids see you on your knees with your whole family together praying. Get your whole family together. Get on your knees in the living room and pray together as a family. Whole tribe of you. It's a beautiful thing to do. All right, that's, that's just a little aside. It had nothing to do with this sermon here today. So in verse 14, after they're seeking the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord falls on Jehaziel. And uh, basically to summarize, he says in verse 15, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Verse 17, he says to him, you will not need to fight this battle. Now, I love that. The battle's not yours. Now, have you ever stepped back and thought about that in your life? That every battle you're in is not yours. This is hard to get a hold of here, but that battle is not yours. He says, the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's, and you don't need to fight it. Well, sure don't feel like that. I sure feel like I'm the one going through the battle and I need to fight it. But God says, it's a great principle to get in your mind. Don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. You don't need to fight your battle. Why are you fighting your battle? Now, let me just, let me just ask you this, okay? Are you fighting battles right now you shouldn't be fighting? Are you trying to fight a battle you should not be fighting? There's some battles you should never get in. And you're making a huge mistake to understand that you feel like you're the one who has to get it in order. You have to get it back in control. You have to speak your mind. You have to get this thing together because it's not right. And sometimes God just steps back and says, you know what, that's not your battle. Well, yes, it is my battle. No, it's not. It's my battle. Years ago, when I wasn't married, and my brother-in-law, I was driving his car through Flint, Michigan, and we were on the interstate. He was from Flint, Michigan. And so we were driving down along the interstate, and all of a sudden, we see this car pulled off to the side of the road, and this guy is chasing his wife to hit her. And every time he'd get her, he'd hit her. And so I pulled off the side of the road of the interstate, and my brother-in-law said, what you doing? I said, I'm, I'm going to go help that. I'm going to help that girl, that, that woman, that wife. I don't know who it is, but she's getting beat up by that guy. We can't just sit here and do nothing. He said, you're not going nowhere. He said, I said, what do you mean? She's going to get decked by that guy. He said, it's not your battle. He said, the minute you make it your battle, he said, I promise you, that guy will turn on you. And then not only will that guy turn on you, but that girl will come at you too. And then you'll have two people coming against you because you got in a battle you should have never got in the middle of. You don't get in the middle of two people's battle when they're married. So I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we ought to leave her unprotected right there. He said, leave it alone. I turned back, looked around. She was on his back hitting him like this. <laughs> she was decking him. I said, man, she can handle her battle. Okay. She was beating that guy up. But I, I thought to myself, there are some battles I'm not supposed to get involved in. There are some things in your life you're not supposed to get involved in. And, and what I'm saying here in this text is the battle is the Lord's. Every battle you got you don't have to fight it. It's the Lord's. It's, it's a beautiful thing to just try to get a hold of. Let me go on a little further with that. So Jehoshaphat falls on the ground, and he says, God, we heard you from this prophet Jehaziel. That's good enough for us. 
And look what he does in verse 19. Then the Levites from the sons of the Korites and the sons of the Kohathites rose up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. All right. This is how you get God to show up when you stand still. This is how God shows up. They started to praise the Lord. They, started, they, they haven't even gone into the battle yet, but they started to praise the Lord before the battle. This is an important principle in your life that you praise God before the battle. And if you praise God before the battle, God will show up in your battle. Now, how do I know that? A beautiful verse. Psalm 22.3, the Lord inhabits praise. There's something in God's nature that when you praise Him, now this is before the battle, when you praise Him, He hears His name being praised, and He's like, His nature says, I can't stay here anymore. i got to go inhabit that praise. If you need God to show up in your life, the best time to do it is before you ever go into the battle. You just praise the Lord. God can't help Himself. His nature is so ingrained to inhabit praise. And when he hears that from you before the battle, there's something about God. He does it, and he begins to work before the battle even begins. It's beautiful. It's just, it's simple, but he will do that. He will inhabit praise. Let's go on. Number two, praise him through the battle. Praise him through the battle. Okay, here in verse 20 to 25, it's game day. They're going down to the battle. God says, go to this place in Ziz, and you will see what will happen. And so I, I just want you to see this. I, I didn't read this in the scripture. Before they went into the battle, this is absolutely amazing to me. Verse 21 says, when they had taken counsel with the people, as the king went and had a full discussion with all the people, he caused those who sang to Yahweh and those who praised him to, to stand in holy attire as they went out before the army, saying, Give thanks to Yahweh, for his loving kindness endures forever. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. He says, We're going to go into battle with our armies, but what we're going to do is we're going to put the praise team out in front. Okay? Now just try to picture that for a minute, okay? That'd be like us taking... We're going to war, and we're going to take the Triad Baptist praise team and put them out in front with Devin, and we're going to put all the singers out there, and, and here they are. This is how we fight our battles. Can you imagine? I bet every one of them would call in sick that day. You want me to go first into the battle, you know, dodging bullets and arrows and everything else, and that's exactly what they did. He said, I want the praise team to escort us into battle. So you don't just praise him before the battle, you praise him through the battle. Through the battle. It's unbelievable. To make music, to sing, to worship. I want you to escort the soldiers into battle. I just can't imagine doing that. But it's so strategic, and what God's trying to teach you is the worship team escorts them. Here's the principle. In difficult places, let praise and worship escort you into your battle. Let praise and worship escort you into your battle. That's a beautiful principle, and so many times that's easily missed. Praise him before, but praise him through the battle. As crazy as that sounds, it's absolutely crazy to send out your praise team in the front lines. Instead of you controlling the battle, instead of you figuring out how you're going to handle this battle, there ought to be this element of praise before you ever get to any strategy with your soldiers. Now, here's the thing you've got to capture. 
God was good before you were in the battle, and he was good when you are in the battle. God's goodness is not contingent upon your circumstance. He's always good. You've, you've got to keep that in your head. He is always good because he's God. And he is in control in the middle of your battle. Now what we do is we default. We default to fear, uh, to frustration, to anger, to withdrawal. We pull away. But the very thing that combats those fleshly desires, because we all got them, is worship. It's the only way you're going to combat your frustration, your anger, your fears, is worship. See, that just doesn't make sense to us at one level. But God says, this is exactly how I'm going to do it, is by worship. I like to say it this way. Praise just kind of flushes out fear, frustration, and anger. So the best thing you could do is and I've had to learn this in my life through and through, is to get along with God. That may be your room, that may be in the car. Get out the Word of God, then turn on your praise and worship music and sit there. Sing along or just listen. But just sit there and let God speak through the Word and let God speak through the worship music to fill your mind and your heart with praise because that's the only way you're going to flush out those fears and anxieties and those frustrations that you feel. And I'm telling you, I, I've seen this true. Praise can flip the narrative of your attitude. See, we tend to do things, uh, and we, we tend to do, when things are good, we tend to praise God. When things are bad, we tend to complain. But God says, I want you to praise me both times, both times, right in the middle of that battle. I want to know. I'm your God. Psalm 34, 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise shall always be on my lips. Always. Always be on my lips. I love that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. Because he's God of the mountains and he's God of the valleys. He's God of your highs. He's God of your lows. He's God of your good and he's God of your bad. But I'm telling you, you can flip your heart. You can flip your heart to go from complaining to praise. Just say, Lord, I resolve. I resolve to praise you as frustrated as I am, as angry as I am, as disappointed as I am, as out of control as I am. I am resolved to praise you. I'm going to worship you through this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, God, but I'm going to find something within me to worship you. And he can't help it. He's got to inhabit that. He's got to inhabit that, and he'll be present there with you. It's, it's a simple, beautiful thing. And he says, I will take care of it. And in turn, you'll be grateful for the battle. Now, I can't say it better than Johnny Erickson taught. I probably quoted her so many times from this pulpit, but, you know, being a quadriplegic your whole life after the age of 16 and walking with God through your life, she says it better than me. As a matter of fact, her quote is my whole sermon because she's better than I at this. She says, when we honestly ask God the question, why? Why is this happening? He doesn't always give us the answers as much as he gives us himself. That is worth coming today. He gives us more of himself. 
That's, that's what he's going to do in your battle. You, you've got to believe that that's better than getting the why. I want the why, I know, and you want the why. But what he's saying is, what if I give you more of myself? It's the only way you're going to get more of God. And I've learned that through Johnny Erickson Tata. Because she did that. She did that. Why, why, why? He doesn't answer to our will, but he always gives us more of himself. So here's how we're fighting now. We're fighting before the battle. We're fighting through the battle. And number three should be real easy now. We're praising him after the battle. We're praising him after the battle. What a tough outline this was, okay? Praising him after the battle. This is absolutely beautiful. Look at verse 26. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for, they, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore, they have named the place the valley of Baraka until today. And every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with gladness, for Yahweh had made them glad over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, with lyres, and trumpets to the house of Yahweh. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the land when they heard that Yahweh had fought their battle. He fought against their enemy. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat, isn't this what you want? was quiet. Isn't this what you want? Quiet. The quieter you are, the more you hear. That's what you want. You want quiet. So they proclaim his name after the battle. <laughs> after you've been through a battle, okay? After you've been through a battle, you've gone into it, you praise him, you're in, going through it and praising him. After you come out of the battle, the next thing you need to do is you need to praise him again. But this time, you need to praise him to someone who may be going into a battle or going through a battle. And so your testimony to them is an encouragement to them. So you want to encourage somebody who's in the season that you came through. That's why you go through battles, to encourage someone else. If you're coming out of a battle, encourage someone who's going into one. Just tell them the formula. Here it is. It's very simple, very simple. And they called the place that God delivered them the Valley of Baraka. It's a cool word, Baraka. It's a Hebrew word. It just means blessing. The Valley of Blessing. The Valley of Blessing. I love it. The Valley of Blessing. Isn't that amazing? You went into the valley thinking it was going to be terrible. You went into the valley scared. You went into the valley frustrated. But God said, I'll turn that valley into a valley of blessing in your life. So how does he do it? If he takes you down into something deep in your life, God says, I'm going to take you deeper with me. I'm going to give you more of myself. And I'm going to be so real to you, you're going to be able to walk with me in ways you've never walked with me before. So in the valley of blessing, God does these things. So when you go into a valley, you go down, that's for sure. But when you go down, you go deeper in your walk with the Lord. I lived in four states with my wife. I look at every valley that we've gone through in the 39 years of our marriage. I look at Indiana, I look at Wisconsin, I look at Colorado, I look at North Carolina. And I went through this week and I just started telling the Lord again the battles I went through and what he did. And what I've learned as I look back now is he's taken me a little deeper, a little deeper, 
and a little deeper. Because when I look at the early battles when I was first married, I, I, I can see that I was so simple in my faith, but I still had faith and I still reached out to God. I remember when uh, one comes to me is when little Zach was born, he was born up in Wisconsin and I, I didn't hardly have any money. And you, so you had the, the doctor who delivers the baby, but then you got to get a pediatrician so that you go from one doctor to the next doctor. And so I didn't know at that particular time that, you know, you pay the doctor who delivers and then you got to pay your pediatrician as well. And at that particular time, it was about a thousand bucks that I needed to pay this pediatrician for the aftercare, the well care, the care of your child after they're born. And I was trying to have a conversation with my wife. Why, why do they need that? Well, we got to make sure the baby's okay. He looks fine. He looks fine. He'll make it. He'll be fine. We don't need a, we don't need a pediatrician, but you don't do that. You don't tell a woman that. No, no, no. And, and so I was like, okay, I, I don't know how I'm going to afford this because I'm, I'm broke on the doctor's side and, and going into this, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like another thousand bucks at this particular time. And so I just said, we're going to have to pray about this. And so we prayed about it and we prayed about it. And then uh, we did it for several, several days and even into the weeks and where I went to work was Calvary Baptist Church. I was the youth pastor and family ministries pastor. And I remember I'd go there. I'd see this guy riding his bicycle to work. He worked at the hospital. He was a pediatrician. I didn't know that at the time. But he, he just who, who would ride their bike to the hospital? But he just lived about five, six houses down the street. And he always rode his bike. And I thought, that guy's going to get hit, run over. I may even run him over. You know, it was just like, but, but anyways, he turned out to be our pediatrician. Dan Hour was his name. Dan Hour. And uh, he was Lutheran. And so he, uh, we went in for a visit with him, with, uh, with Zach, and uh, he said, well, what, um, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm the family ministries pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. He went to the, everybody's Lutheran in Wisconsin. Everybody's Lutheran or Catholic, okay? And so it's a flooded state of Catholics and Lutherans. And he said, well, I'm Lutheran. I go to this Lutheran church. And, and I said, well, I said, I'm the family ministries pastor at Calvary. He said, oh, okay. And so, now I've been praying for this and been seeking the Lord over this. So I go to check out and the lady said, every bill you have from this day forward is paid for. Back then, that was huge for me. Because I saw this guy, a Lutheran doctor, give a Baptist preacher a free ride. That stuck in my heart. It was one of those early battles I had to go into and learn that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. So we've had pediatricians ever since. We've never given up on them because somehow I know the next one I did not get it all paid for. The next one I did not get it all paid for. But I, I saw that God was taking me through battles and he was doing different things. About. I have so many stories that have taken me from the valley of blessing in Wisconsin and in Indiana and in Colorado to North Carolina. And now my battles have deepened. My battles have definitely deepened. But as my battles have deepened, I've come to trust that I can come out of it and encourage you. And I can say that we can go through these battles together because there is a valley of blessing. Now, in your life, you should have some special valley of blessings already. You should have some special valley. Where God worked in your life, where was that? And you can say, there's nothing I could have done to make that happen, but God worked in my life. You know what he wants you to do? 
He wants you to take that old battle and he wants you to praise him again with that for some new battle you got to go into. You take the time to praise him for that one and say, this is what you did for me, God. I want to remind you. He knows, but he will inhabit that praise as you go into the next one or you're going through one or you're coming out of one. It doesn't matter. But do you have a valley you're getting ready to go into? Praise him. Are you in a valley you're going through? Praise him. Are you coming out of a valley? Praise him. It's just, it's, it's like, I can't even believe this stuff, except for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working through me, that I believe this is the strategy for your life. And it's a beautiful one. Here's what I want to do. Praise team, come on up. Well, the praise team, come up. And then what I'm going to do, I'll just, I'll go ahead and come up. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and close the service. I have some verses here that I would like to pray over you or at least read over you, but I would like to invite you to come. If you've got a battle that you need to praise them before you go into it, I'm going to invite you to come and just come to the front, get as close as you can, or you've got a battle you're going through right now, all right, or you've got a battle you're coming out of. I want to pray some verses that as I studied over this, I read through a couple books in the Bible and they just jumped out at me and I said, I'm going to put this blessing on the ones who come. So if you want to come this morning, let's stand to our feet. We'll stand to our feet. You want to come. You, you're, you're, you want to praise them before the battle. You want to praise them through the battle. And you want to praise them after the battle. I want to invite you to come and I just want to read these verses over you, okay? So just come right now. And as you're coming... I'm going to read these verses and then we're going to let the praise team sing. But you've got something right now you could give a praise for. As you're coming, just say it right now before God. God, I want to praise you for this valley of blessing you took me through. God, I'm in a battle right now. I just want to praise you. That's your prayer right now at the altar. I want that to be. Just take a minute to do that. You got one you're, you're coming out of? Praise him for that. You got a valley of blessing you want to tell him about before you go into this one? Do that. Just praise him right now, right now at this altar. These are beautiful. Deuteronomy 1, verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be in dread nor fear them. Yahweh your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf just as he has done for Israel. Deuteronomy 3.22 Do not fear them for Yahweh your God is the one fighting for you. I command you, your eyes shall be upon me, your God. 20, verse 4 of Deuteronomy Yahweh your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And the last one I wanted to read over you was Exodus 14, verse 14. Yahweh will fight for you. You just keep silent. You just keep silent. Father God, at this moment, over these that have come forward, I want to pray your hand a blessing over them. I pray you keep them. God, it is so unbelievable to even grasp this concept. We want to take it by faith as you take us through the valleys.
Take those valleys, and as deep as you take us, Father, make them a valley of blessing. We'll give you all the honor and glory. Go forth with your hand upon each of these. Lord, may your word not return void, but may it perform the power that you have intended it to perform in our lives in a very personal and real way. So I lift it up to you. I lift up this time now and ask it in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may go back to your seats. Thank you for coming this morning. Devin, go ahead and lead us in the song.